0: You are listening to Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. On this Monday, July the 29th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Yes, we're live in the studio, even though, I tell you, I think this was the first time I had to use an umbrella from the car to the International Center, and the umbrella almost tore apart. The wind is so strong, and the rain was coming down so hard, but... The nice thing about it raining like this, my wife won't have to wash my clothes today. They're all washed. We're going to be taking a look at a reading for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost, and the readings are from Ecclesiastes, Colossians, and Luke chapter 12, and that's the one we're going to be looking at. So, without further ado, let's begin. Jesus tells a story about a man who takes care in making sure he has goods for his retirement, and then he dies. And here's what verse 21 of Luke 12 says. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Wow. What does that mean? How are you rich toward God? I'll I'll tell you the first thing that may cross your mind, this would be a great text for Stewardship Sunday. What's Stewardship Sunday? Those are the Sundays uh, during the year when the pastor encourages people to offer more money voluntarily to the church to meet its needs. And it would seem to me that this fits right in there that we're supposed to be rich toward God. But what precisely does that mean? How is one rich toward God? What if you don't have much money? How are you going to be able to give him of your riches? Or is that even what it's talking about? Being rich toward God, does that mean that you give him a substantial amount of the money that you earn? Well, we're going to have to take a look as to see whether that is what Jesus is talking about. How do you figure out what Jesus is talking about when he says something like this, that you need to be rich toward God? It's called Scripture Interprets Scripture, which means you look at the immediate context and the greater context entirely, the whole Bible, to find out what is Jesus speaking about. Well, this begins with verse 13, where someone in the crowd says to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, I find this kind of uh, similar to what Martha had said to Jesus when She was really upset with Mary for not helping her cook a dinner and instead was listening to a Bible study. Martha looks at Jesus and says, Don't you care that my sister Mary isn't helping me? You tell her to come and help me. And Jesus reads what the man in the crowd is saying in a similar way. Teacher Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, we don't know what the circumstances were, but obviously this brother, maybe he was a younger brother, wasn't getting a sufficient amount of the inheritance, and he wants Jesus to tell his brother to divide it appropriately. Jesus responds, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over You. See, Jesus isn't the one that watches every bit of our life and guides it. You need to make your own decisions. But what kind of decisions are you to make? Jesus makes a distinction between kinds of decisions, ones that are inappropriate and those that are appropriate. And that comes in verse 15. Jesus says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, whether Jesus was able to read the mind of the one brother Or whether it was kind of obvious, maybe the way the brother was kind of angry at the other brother for not dividing the inheritance the way he thought would be appropriate, we're not really sure. But at least Jesus sees behind it a form of covetousness. What's covetousness? Covet is desiring something you don't have. Either because you don't think it was just the way you didn't get it, or it belonged to you, Covetousness is behind a lot of sins. For example, if you steal something, let's say you're at school or at work, and uh, the person next to you has a desk, and there's a real nice pen on it that you wish you had, and he leaves for a bit, so you steal his pen. That is really on the basis of coveting it, and therefore telling God, God, you gave it to the wrong person. I'm correcting your mistake. And I'm giving it to me who should have had it in the first place. So God is against all covetousness. Now, this is really important because God doesn't look at sin just on the basis of the action or the word or the thought that may be in error. He looks at the motivation. And that's why he reads hearts. So, you may be asking appropriately to receive some money from your family, maybe at the death of a parent or something, in order that you might be able to share it with others or give more to the church or something like that. You may have a proper motivation. But if your motivation is that of covetousness, then Jesus is speaking against this. Now, this is really important from a law and gospel point of view. You do not break the law simply by going against one of the commandments outwardly. You actually break the law when your motivation is sinful. Well, are are you saying there are some commandments that you could break and they wouldn't be sin? Sure. Sure. Uh, stealing, for example. You can steal and not be sin? Well, put yourself in the area of Nazi Germany, and there are people that you're hiding from the Nazis, maybe Jews in your attic, but they're hungry. You don't have any money. And and therefore, you may go and steal some bread in order to feed them. I do not think that would be a sin Because the government wants to know where they are. And you're lying to the government saying you don't know where they are. But see, this would be a perfect example of where we obey God rather than men. We we know what those evil soldiers want to do in finding the Jews is to put them to death. And so lying to the government would not be a sin in that particular circumstances. Now... Jesus always brings this down to living at his time. And he tells them a parable. Now, here's a good example where the word parable isn't necessarily talking about what happens in the church. This is instead of an extended metaphor, and it's also referred to as a parable, where Jesus is making a point against covetousness. And here's what he says. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Now, I I drive a lot in Illinois because I'm taking care of some congregations there. And it's really interesting driving down the highway past a lot of farms some farms have four or five silos that have been built near the home others have only one silo and the only thing i can figure out you would build more silos to store the grain or the wheat or the corn or whatever because you have a lot more field maybe than does the other farmer is it wrong to do that no it's not Because why would you grow so much and then have nowhere to store it so that it can be used plentifully in feeding others? So it's not wrong to build more items to store crops if God has produced plentifully. But going on, verse 18, the farmer says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now, up to that point, I don't see any sin. Because farmers need to make sure that whatever they're growing plentifully is taken care of, that it doesn't rot, etc. Now, I'm not a farmer, and I have no idea how all these various silos or buildings, uh, how, how they're dealt with. But here's verse 19. And you'll notice that here he's moving into motivation. Soul, he's talking to himself. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, one of the other readings for this eighth Sunday after Pentecost is from Ecclesiastes. And you know how that starts. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And listen to verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. This also is vanity. And that's what Jesus does. I think he's really thinking about Ecclesiastes when after the man says, My, now I have ample goods and I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But then Jesus says in verse 20 of Luke 12, But God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You see, you can't take anything with you into his graves. In fact, verse 24 of Ecclesiastes says this, There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink And find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? See, there is a way in which a farmer can produce plentiful, uh, keep it, and use it appropriately. But we haven't really talked about how to use it appropriately. I mean, you can hardly turn on television these days and see advertisements about retirement. A large percentage of people have not set aside sufficient funds for retirement if they're no longer working. And so the motivation behind all this is so that you can have many years of relaxing, eating, drinking, and be merry. But here... Jesus recognizes that motivation as self-interest. He's doing it for himself. And that's why Jesus continues with God saying to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. In other words, you're going to die. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? They're not going to be able to be yours. So you can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You're going into the grave. Now, if you're a believer, yes, you will be going to heaven. I'm not saying that this is a total unbeliever here. In this particular area, he does not have proper faith, not because he's building more barns, etc., to take care of all his crops, but because he's doing it for self-interest. He's doing it so he can relax eat, drink, and be merry. And that helps us to understand verse 21 where we started. So the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God, that's where the problem is. But we're stuck. How are you to be able to be rich toward God? Jesus doesn't talk about building barns to put produce and crops in there so you can give them all over to God, maybe through the church. He doesn't mention that. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Now, we know what it means to be rich toward yourself. You do all you can so that in your later years, you can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And that is is really something out of self-interest. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? Does it mean that when you go to church, you give a bigger offering than normal? Is that how you're rich toward God? But in my congregation, I had a number of people who were on welfare. And for them to give 3 4 $5 a week That was difficult. So, how would they hear this to be rich toward God when they don't have riches to give to God? Well, maybe we're misunderstanding what rich toward God means. And I certainly think we are. Because we need to look at it, as I've said in a lot of our Bible studies, from a law and gospel perspective not just from a commandment perspective, where it sounds like being rich toward God means you give God more money. No, that's not what it's talking about. How are you rich toward God? Actually, we have a lawyer who tells us the answer to that, even though he came to trick Jesus. It's in Luke, guess what? Chapter 10, two chapters before this one. The lawyer comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal salvation? Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And remember what the lawyer says? Oh, yes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus responds, do this and you will live. The problem with the lawyer is he knows what the commandment summary is but he doesn't understand it because even though he said and love your neighbor as yourself it's very clear that he has no love for samaritans because that's what Jesus does he tells him a story about a a Jew who is attacked by samaritans and is helped out not by a priest or a rabbi But he's helped out instead by a Samaritan. And at the end, Jesus even asks the lawyer, who showed mercy? And the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. He says, no, the one who helped him out. There's all law. There's no gospel in that story of the Samaritan. Because Jesus is answering the question, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. And Jesus is making the point, well, because you're a sinner, there's nothing you can do because everything you do also is filled with sin because Jesus is looking at the motivation, not just the action. So this helps us to understand Jesus is talking about the difference between selfishly laying up treasure for yourself in contrast to being rich toward God. How are we rich toward God? Well, the lawyer gave us the answer. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, etc., etc., and our neighbor as ourself. To be rich toward God means that we're helping out the neighbor. And that doesn't matter if at church, in an offering, you give $500 a week or you give $3 a week. It doesn't matter the amount. Now, we could go into stewardship as to how you decide what the amount is, but that's another conversation. What we're saying is God is looking at your motivation. Are you motivated to do things in order to make yourself look good? I remember a congregation that a a friend of mine became pastor at, and he found out that each year in the last newsletter they would put the name of every person in the congregation and how much money they had given to the church. (laughs) Well, there were two individuals who gave quite a bit. And he, of course, changed that so no longer was it announced the amount. And sure enough, Those two individuals did not give the same amount as they had the previous year when it wasn't announced and it was told ahead of time it would not be announced or written. And so you get a pretty good idea why they were giving quite a bit of money. Even giving a lot of money to church can be sinful if your motivation is try to be first in the congregation who gives the most amount in order to make you look good in the eyes of others. That's not being rich toward God, that's being rich toward yourself. Because he's the one who has produced plentifully in your life. But you're not really giving it back toward God. You're giving it maybe towards God, but for the purpose of doing it out of self-interest. Being rich toward God means what Matthew 25 is talking about. When Jesus commends the sheep for what they have done, and they're going to heaven. He doesn't talk about how much money they gave to the church. He talks about how neighborly they have been in visiting those in prison, giving food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, clothes to the naked, etc. This is really important to understand that being neighborly is being rich toward God. But how many of us break that all the time? We may be angry with our neighbor because when he cuts the lawn, he doesn't collect the grass, but it blows on over onto our driveway and makes our driveway all grassy. (laughs) I mean, there's all kinds of things where we don't love the neighbor as God so wants us to. Now, that can't be corrected by making a decision, well, from here on, I'm going to love the neighbor. No, it's corrected by turning to God, repenting of that sin, asking for forgiveness, and knowing that in Christ, because of his death and resurrection, he has forgiven us. Therefore, if you ever say this to someone, that the Bible says we're supposed to be rich toward God, what do you think that means? I almost guarantee you that most of them are going to say it means to give a lot to the church. And you'll say no. It means to love the neighbor. That's how we're rich toward God. Because even though the lawyer didn't understand what he was saying, he was accurate in giving the proper summary of the commandments to love your God with all your heart, your soul, your might, and your neighbor as yourself, which he, of course, wasn't doing when it came to his Samaritan's neighbors. So rich toward God is... To have a motivation where we love the neighbor, even though the neighbor doesn't deserve it. Maybe he's done something that we're not happy with, and we don't want to say anything to him because we still want to have a good relationship. Well, sometimes we need to be honest with our neighbors because a lot of time, if it's a good neighbor, they'll change in order to overcome your criticism. Rich toward God, doesn't have anything to do with money. It has to do with what kind of motivation we have towards not only God, but also the neighbor. Because God has given us much. He has plentifully provided us with produce. And for us to set it aside, to make sure we take care of ourselves, rather than also our neighbor. That's what Jesus is getting across when he says that we are to be rich toward God. On Tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we're going to be taking a look at a hymn, and it was actually written by a fellow classmate of mine. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that and then take a look at the hymn, which is Gracious God... You send great blessings. And I can understand that's the hymn for this Sunday. I'm Tom Baker. Till tomorrow, God bless.